welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the third, nope, Sunday deep dive episode. I'm going to get that right. We have Brad Freeman on again. He's going to be the guest on each Sunday show. So if you liked him last time talking tattooed chef, we're going to have on again. Uh, Brad, how you doing? Uh, how are you dealing with the, I know you do hold some uh, growth stocks. I know that's, uh, you're not shying away from that. How, uh, how did the sell-off treat you uh, last week? Yeah, uh, kind of just taking taking the opportunities as they come, going really slow, adding to my favorite names, uh, taking uh, the advice from one of my favorite investors, Mr. Buffett, uh, greedy when others are fearful. I have no idea if the pain is done. I mean, it would make some sense to, to see some more, but I will be buying all the way down. All right. Those are, uh, <laughs> those are good words. Well, well the, uh, BTD. BTD. Yeah. But uh, no, yeah, it's, uh, I think we kind of have the same approach. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, on, to be on, in all seriousness, if you're a individual and a long-term investor, I mean, both all of us have forty-year time horizons. Uh, I mean, the best time to buy is just consistently. Uh, I know that yeah, my, triggers my, some people. My DCFs extrapolate out forty years. So. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, but Ryan, we're going to be talking Ping Identity today. You're going to introduce the company, but do you want to talk about Seven Investing first? Yeah, so you can use our code CCM at checkout. You get $10 off your first month. Um, last month's recommendation, I guess this month's recommendations, was a pretty good batch. There was one in particular that you and I have talked about off the show. We won't say what it was because that would be a violation. Um, but pretty interesting. So uh, that alone should be worth your $7. And use code CCM. There's a sales pitch. Yep. Okay, Ping Identity, uh, I'll get into what they do. So they're in the identity security space. Um, They work both on-premise and off-premise. Basically, that just means whether you're in the office versus remote work, Uh, cloud, connected through multiple devices. I think what they mean by that, I don't want to, sorry. It's the the servers. Yeah, so the servers are, yeah, I think you might have. The reason, or what you were describing, it made it sound like people in the office, but you're talking about the service, correct? Right. In okay. the, yeah. And so it's really, I could probably try to overcomplicate it, but it's a lot like Okta. Uh, very similar, actually. Um, they really cater to enterprise businesses. So anytime an employee that works for one of Ping's customers signs in, they have to use Ping identity to be secure. So essentially they're going, I think they have 60% of the Fortune 100 businesses as customers. So, and that totals like almost more than a billion users in total. And uh, the goal is essentially to, you create an identity for each user and then you can grant that user access wherever they go. And they really leaned into this remote work sort of uh, being dispersed across the country kind of uh, style of work. And um, a little bit about the history. Well, I should talk about the products, but they have single sign-on. So uh, that's kind of the... I guess you could call it the landing page for a lot of work 
uh, a lot of employees. If you if you aren't familiar with Okta, just go look up sort of Okta interface or something like that, or Ping Identity interface, and you can access all the different areas that you need to be if you're working for a company from that single sign-on. Uh, and then they have multi-factor authentication, which is their send you a text and you type in the code type of thing. Yeah, pretty standard stuff. Yeah, they have security controls for APIs, personalized profile directories, which is kind of a command center for the IT department, data governance to control access to identity data. And then they have an artificial and machine learning API security. This is basically just automatic API security instead of manual based on their quote unquote AI, which I always feel skeptical when people say AI. It felt, reading their 10K, it felt a little bit like an IBM commercial. Uh, which is always <laughs> makes me take a step back where they're like, we're hybrid cloud, but keep, yeah. yeah, keep going. Anyway, so the, the, they can be bundled together or they can be purchased individually, or you can purchase like one or two or three for a certain part of a team within the company, that kind of thing. Uh, history about the business. Ping was founded in Denver, Colorado in 2002 by Andre Durand and Ping has been headquartered there ever since. So Durand actually sold his first company, I think it was in like 1997, uh, maybe I'm wrong on that, but he started a second company and then he went on a three-month sabbatical to the Caribbean. All good ideas start on sabbaticals, so uh, that's where he had his epiphany uh, um, while blogging on his friend's boat that he thought that the internet was really missing individual identity. So apparently he cut his sabbatical early and headed back to Denver to start this thing. Probably totally, it's probably completely true. That's it just sounds, made up for the newspapers. Know. He's always... Whenever I hear people like, oh, I, it came to me on a sabbatical, I just think of Ehrlich Bachman in yeah. Silicon Valley, like taking shrimps and trying to think of a company name. <laughs> He's like, I, or, or uh, uh, Reed Hastings, I tried to return my video and I got a $100 late fee and that inspired me to build this global empire. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I think Ping was actually the first mover in this space, and they started the Digital Identity Conference, which is called like Identiverse now. Not that that's some big thing, but uh, if you ever want to go to Identiverse, I'm sure you can attend. Uh, that's sort of the conference they came up with. And they did have a good, uh, they success, successfully transitioned um, out of, they used to just be on-premise sort of security identity, that kind of thing. And they've sort of transitioned out of that. Uh, they went public in 2019. I think that pretty much covers all the history. Do you want to get into the landscape yeah. competition? Yeah. And it is weird because you think they IPO'd after Okta and they are a competitor, uh, but they're actually founded earlier. And that's kind of what left them a little bit behind Okta because they weren't really a SaaS offering. Now they have some SaaS stuff that kind of gets them. We'll talk about it later where they were, they're mainly like, software for it was cloud-based but they also had you know the on-premise stuff to compete with oracle and ibm but okta kind of had that advantage the last few years but ping's kind of trying to catch up for them but i'll get to the industry um according to ping's 10k ibm and oracle are legacy competitors for on-prem stuff which is again the servers at someone's place it's not the cloud distributed stuff and then okta and auth zero are their cloud competitors and Microsoft has its own offering called Azure Ad, uh, but Ping does work with Microsoft too. And that's kind of interesting to talk about because you would think maybe some big companies would be able to build something like this themselves, but it sounds like really the only company that can build something of that level would be Microsoft. I guess you could probably say the other big tech companies. Yeah. Um, it seems like it's not really worth the investment unless you're someone of Microsoft's size. 
Uh, but the main competitor is Okta. I mean, they focus on it basically every conference call. Okta's the biggest player by market cap. I'm not sure or revenue level, how much bigger it is, but it is considerably bigger on market cap. And Okta actually just acquired Auth0 for $6.5 billion in stocks, which can kind of give you an indication of how hot the market is right now uh, for these companies. Um, quantifying the market opportunity is hard and can be a little bit misleading, but to give a rough idea, Ping is in 60% of the Fortune 100 right now. So that market is a bit mature. Uh, and that was their legacy market, but they're looking to work down to the global 3000. I'm not sure. There's all these, there's Fortune 500, global 1000, global 3000. Um, I'm not sure exactly what these companies are, but I think they're just more mid-sized companies. Um, the only question I had, and maybe we can just talk about this a bit, probably have it on the second half too. Do you guys think it's harder to go from like the smaller companies to larger ones? Or do you think it's harder to go from the larger companies to smaller enterprise clients. Uh, I'll, I'll go, first. go first. Yeah, uh, I would say it's easier to go from small to large because uh, there is, and I talk about this later on, but there's like a reputational advantage that you have if you're with the large customers. But a lot of the time, it's just smaller companies becoming large companies and you're already integrated into their stack or their mm -hmm. system. So it's That's not right. necessarily, you don't have to go out and get the customers. The customers themselves just become larger over time potentially yeah potentially that could get locked an advantage brad what do you think uh, i i agree the only thing about starting big and then going small is you do like ryan kind of hinted at get that recognition and that legitimacy from working with large fortune 100 500 companies um and i think that probably does open some doors for landing smaller clients right but, but yeah you could, yeah you could say that the like Ping definitely has the tech advantage where they can do everything super complex, but Okta may have that, you know, they've already landed with all those. But I think that's all I have for industry. Brad, do you want to talk management? I would, or? I would, sorry, before we get to Brad, I would also add that with the single sign-on, they complete they compete with a lot of the workflow type of stuff. So in a way, we you know how we talked about, when we talk about Dropbox, we said they kind of compete with Okta. I would yeah. say that ping in this regard with the single sign-on, if they're trying to be the landing page for a lot of employees, they also work with the workflow stuff like Box or Dropbox. They kind of compete in that, gar that regard. Um, but obviously at the same time, they have all the other uh, security-based offerings, which Dropbox and Box don't have. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's some companies are, yes, like kind of competitors. Like you can even argue with some of the security stuff, Datadog and maybe CrowdStrike, but it, Everyone starts overlapping, uh, but yeah, uh, Brad, do you want to get to management and ownership? Yeah, so we kind of got into it a little bit, but Andre Durand is the founder and the CEO. Uh, so he founded that company Ryan talked about, which was sort of like an online photo database company when when the internet uh, like was sort of beginning. Um, he calls himself the pioneer, but uh, a lot of I, I bet a lot of people call themselves the pioneer there. Um, founded uh, the open source mess messaging platform called Jabber, which was sold to Cisco in 2008. And then he's the chair and founder of that identity conference we got into. Uh, Chris Nagel um, is the COO. He's held a lot of senior leadership roles with Apple um, and Portal Software, which exited and sold to Oracle a, a few years ago. And then this, is, this isn't super important to the company's value, but Terry Crews, uh, the celebrity, is, has the role of chief identity champion, which I thought was yeah. hilarious. Um, you buy signal. Him, huge buy signal, yeah. You might know him from Quarter Pounder or Cheese Guy from Longest Yard or from Brooklyn Nine Nine, but he is hilarious and he was listed on the management team. So I thought I had to talk about that. That is funny. That's a good anecdote. 
Yeah, from from a board of directors point of view, it's important to note that this company was sold to the private equity firm Vista uh, in 2016. Uh, they do focus on enterprise tech, so this was right up their alley. And then Vista IPO'd it uh, in 2019. Um, so other board of director highlights, Diane Gerson was the former chief human resources officer at IBM and Paul Martin was the former chief internal officer at Baxter International. Um, in terms of insider ownership, the, the insiders directly own under 1% of the float, so not, not a ton there. Um, and in, but in terms of institutional ownership, so as you may expect, uh, Vista owns 40% of the float. So I kind of think they can be considered an insider sort of, I mean, if they're the owner of the company. So, yeah. so it, it, so all the data sources are saying insiders on under 1% of the float, but you, I think you could consider that 48% also and be, and be just fine. Um, and they're, they're by far the largest holder. They own 10 X what Vanguard owns. So they are, they're very much so in this company. Yeah, they are important from the ownership perspective. Um, I'll hit valuation, hit this quick, at uh, 81.3 million shares, which is what they had listed as of in somewhere in February during the annual report. Um, the market cap is about $1.85 billion. Again, we are in a time where it seems like stocks are either going up or down 3% every day. So just make sure to check what the valuation is when you're listening. Um, the ticker is P-I-N-G. Price to sales trailing would be about 7.6 from what I calculated and price to gross profit about 10.5. Uh, no dividends, shares outstanding have gone up steadily since the IPO. Same story as always for these companies and they are around break even on profitability and cash flow positive, but a lot of that is coming from stock-based compensation. So if you're looking at the cash flow or you're looking at the earnings multiple, it's going to be quite high. Uh, but this is another story. You have to think that the margin expansion should be a big part of the story over the next years, but I'll kick it over to Ryan. For yeah. Uh, for 2020, they had $259 million in annual recurring revenue, uh, and that grew 15% year over year. I'd say ARR, or annual recurring revenue, is kind of the number to pay attention to, since 92% of their, I think it's 92% of their top line is subscription. Yep, that's, uh, yep, that's right. And I imagine the contracts are probably a little longer dated since it's enterprise customers. Um, they had 72% gross margins. Operating cash flow was $22.4 million, uh, $9 million in unlevered free cash flow. So it's an operating cash flow margin of roughly 9%, like Brett said. Uh, I, I think for people that are bullish on the company, uh, margin expansion is a large part of that narrative. Um, they spend about 36% of revenue on sales and marketing, 7% of revenue is spent on stock-based compensation. So not exorbitant amounts on SBC there, um, especially compared to some of their other peers in the industry. But surprisingly, there was a high amount of money spent on depreciation and amortization. Or um, realization or whatever. On a yeah. gap basis. Yeah. yeah. So they have to, I think sometimes those the gap requirements make you mark down the depreciation more aggressively than you should. Yeah. Uh, especially for companies like this, but just worth noting there when you, if you look at like the EBITDA number, just remember there's a lot of depreciation expense as well. So they ended the year with 1,411 customers in total, 51 customers contribute more than a million in ARR. So that's actually growing 34% year over year. And they launched ping one verify, which, I guess I'll talk about that on my future growth opportunity, but they did that during the quarter as well. Yeah, I thought a big note was if you kind of look at the 51 customers with over 1 million in ARR, and then you look at the 60% plus companies of the Fortune 100, you can think of like, all right, well, that's the majority of the Fortune 100 customers are probably paying them 
a million dollars a year. Um, that was probably my big highlight and, in the quarter, those, those lock-in from those people. And it's not just when you, when you think about customers paying more than a million a year in ARR, it's not just added like new customers. It's, it's customers that have crossed that threshold yep. that have maybe been customers previously. So they might just be a, sort of that land and expand model. Yeah, it's, it might not be that impressive if they went from all 990,000 to, uh, a million? to a million, but uh, you know, over time that number's going up. But Brad, you want to close out the first half of the balance sheet? Yeah, but, so the long-term debt um, is not super concerning. They're at 150.8, including uh, credit revolvers that still have a little bit left in them. That's up from 50 million year over year. So for, I think we said, what, eight, 1.85 billion in enterprise value, that's really not I mean, it's not crazy. Um, it's not It's not perfect. It's not ideal, but it's really not a red flag at all. Um, so in 2019, uh, or they, they in March 2020, at an abundance of caution, they exhausted their 2019 credit revolver. So they now have $145 million in cash as of December 2020. Um, as we kind of covered, cash flow is positive. So um, no really pressing balance sheet concerns. Um, and yes, interestingly, their, their interest expense declined from 6.1% at the end of 2019 to 1.8% at the end of 2020 wow. um, due to refinancing. So it looks like the creditor, yeah, it looks like they got, they got through, um, I guess the danger zone of whatever the pandemic um, led creditors to think uh, ping where, where they were going, where ping was going. Um, and, and that is, yeah, that is a large, that is a large drop in, in interest expense and definitely a good thing for the company. Yeah, yeah, I do. I did like to see that. Yeah. It's so funny to look back at like March, 2020 now, and it felt like investors thought every company was going to go to zero revenue. But when we look back at it, it's like paying should, should see a boost from everyone going remote. Mm-hmm. But uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I they pulled out a revolver. <laughs> so, I mean, they obviously thought uh, they were going to be in some trouble. But. Yeah. What, uh, everyone was nervous that no one was going to pay anything. That was definitely an overreaction, but that was the consensus at the time. Uh, let's hit a quick break, though. That wraps up the introduction to Ping Identity, and then we're going to talk about more of the analysis part on the second half of the show. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome back. Next up is competitive advantages. This is where we try to identify any sort of moat, how they're looking at competitors. In this case, it's probably big to look at Okta and the, the on-prem you know, competitors like Ivy and Oracle, but we'll throw it over to Brad first. What do you think? You got any competitive advantages here? I would go back to that that reduction in interest expense that I just covered as as a as kind of a developing competitive advantage. So that 1.8% average interest rate does provide them with a lot of flexibility to more aggressively pursue either organic or inorganic growth. And with Vista involved, that seems like it could be even more likely. Um, and, and based on Vista's track record of really profitable creative roll-ups, um, I, I do like that that combination of them being in the equation and having access to very cheap credit. Right. The, uh, you could argue that Okta has a really low cost of capital. So before this, you might have said that Ping was at a huge disadvantage because Okta trades, at, you know, it's one of those companies that trades at 30, 40 times sales. They acquired Auth0 uh, all in stock, all stock yeah. for $6.5 billion, which is like, 
three times as much as uh, paying identity more than three times. If I'm doing the math in my head right. So if they can get that to a you know more of an even level, um, yeah. that could give them a better uh, not really an advantage, but just even the odds when trying to yeah. invest uh, for tech versus you know. It's maybe tech. maybe eliminating a competitive disadvantage that that they've been dealing with recently, um, more so than creating a new competitive advantage. But I think it does have the same impact. Right. Right. Okay, Ryan. Uh, yeah, so I mentioned this a little bit earlier uh, is the reputational advantage. Uh, so if you're an enterprise business, this isn't this really isn't a part of the business that you want to take a risk on. Uh, and it's so important now that you don't have any sort of security or identity issues um, just because it looks so bad to have a headline where it says security problems with blank whatever that yeah. company is. Um, so they're not going to take a risk on it. And when you have 60% of the fortune 100 companies, that can be a really, I, I feel like that's gotta be a major sticking point in the sales process. Like you can just be like, well, look at them. They use us. Do you want, you know, they, they wouldn't make a mistake using us, that kind of thing. So, uh, I think that's just kind of a boost to their reputation. Um, and now I'm not necessarily sure if that helps go down market in terms yeah. of big to mid cap or small cap. But uh, in terms of acquiring other enterprise customers, yeah, it feels like they really have an advantage there. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that uh, for sure. The enterprise customers, uh, I don't want to say there's no way Octic can take that from them, but it seems like if Ping Identities it just does its job and continually improves its product and it's a good product, it seems like. Um, they're not going to lose those customers anytime soon. Okta doesn't really have the specs to compete on the enterprise level. Uh, but I'll hit mine. I think the ability to go, you know, on-premise, hybrid, or cloud. Again, I mentioned it does feel IBM-y where they're trying to say like, you know, those hyped up the cloud commercials. But um, I think it can help them win contracts with the giant enterprises. Now, they, they claim they are neck and neck now on the pure cloud offerings. And I think at the end of Q4, whatever products they launched in 2020, um, we can't, they have almost like a dozen products, so we can't really talk about them all on the show, but they said by, I believe, the end of Q4 of last year that they were neck and neck with the pure cloud offerings, which I assume they're uh, talking about Okta. And then if you think that the UI and pricing is similar, there's no reason with the better tech specs for, you know, this API security, um, the reputation with big companies like I think Netflix and like Bank of America are their uh, clients. There's no reason they couldn't win head-to-head versus Okta. So maybe to get some market share from there as they try to move down to the mid-sized clients. But I do worry about thinking about that, whether they have any pricing power, you know, yeah. are these commodity products at all? And at the firm level, it's like, uh, I, I mean, I guess they can kind of just offload or ship the product and it doesn't really matter. It's not like you need a lot of customer service, but I, I would... If you are a smaller business, would you be worried that you're like uh, a customer that doesn't really matter to ping if they have 60% of the Fortune 100 companies? Mm, I don't think you're thinking about that as a customer, but it probably doesn't even come into play. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's something to think about. Brad, what do you think? Is ping and these single sign-on stuff, do you think it's a commodity product at all? Uh. Today, probably probably not. Um, but I think I think there's a lot of uh, innovation happening today in technology that will be a commodity in 20 or 30 years, sort of like data centers are now. Um, so I, I do, yeah, I agree. Something to keep an eye on. All right. Well, do you want to hit your future growth opportunities then? 
I would love to. So mine is sort of a, a tide or macro tide lifts all boats, not super specific to ping. Um, but I mean, we got news out of China last weekend on the, on the Microsoft hack. Um, these these global uh, cyber cybersecurity attacks are, are becoming more and more frequent. Uh, the current administration has placed uh, an added emphasis from a budgeting perspective to spending on cybersecurity. So I just think in general, this is a really a good place to be operating in. Um, and, and I think the industry compound annual growth rate over the very long term is going to serve Ping and everyone else in it very well. Yeah, you, there's no reason to think a demand for their products aren't are going down. They're definitely going up. Yeah, I'd say they just there is that general tailwind behind them, which mm-hmm. I don't know if that's like an investing thesis on its own, but it's like Brad said, it's a good space to be. Yeah, it's, it seems a bit like it's... Uh, like, all right, the the hackers do something good and then Penny has to invest and fight it. Then they keep leveling up. So I get concerned that the R&D spend will not go down as a percentage of revenue because the hackers continually get better. Uh, but uh, I'm a bit of an outsider looking in, so maybe that's not how it works. And maybe that's more of someone like Palo Alto Networks. But Ryan, do you want to hit your feature? Sure. About? They just launched Ping One Verify. This is their newest SaaS offering. I think it's basically them just leaning in to like, cloud. So how they said we're neck and neck on sort of that cloud offering. Uh, I think it's because of this ping one verify. Um, and in 2020, ping acquired a company called Showcard. I'm not sure what price they paid, but that is sort of the tech they're using in order to leverage this offering. Uh, and I couldn't necessarily differentiate Showcard's tech from what exactly ping did, but some TechCrunch article said that Showcard uses mobile phones as a personal ID vault. They basically said it's like blockchain Perfect. for Explain. personal ID. So <laughs> Explains I mean, it perfectly. if they really, really broadcasted the whole blockchain uh, thing, I think they could get a real premium here. Yeah. yeah, talking to the, yeah the, uh, the, the, I was going to say, if I read that tech from Charlie Paul, I'd be like, hmm, I still don't understand this. <laughs> it doesn't make much sense, but I, I am like the least tech savvy person out there. So what about, uh, what about you? What do you have? For okay. Uh, I got API intelligence offering. I don't know how new this is, but they really like to talk about it a lot. So it brings like API activity into one dashboard. And if you kind of think about it, it's not really for a small business who may be using a few APIs, but if you're a large enterprise, again, these fortune 100 clients that they're always serving, you might be using hundreds of different APIs, um, throughout your business. And if you can get that for your IT team onto one dashboard that can help you know, identify strange and malicious activities, and they're using their, you know, quote, machine learning and AI uh, to help automatically see when something is not necessarily malicious, but it could be malicious, or if just something doesn't look usual, and then they can go investigate it. Uh, So I think, you know, API usage should only grow over the next decade. And they're kind of positioned strongly to help deal with this, because they talk about a lot how, um, when you use an API, and again, this is a little past our tech expertise, but it opens up more of a threat to like, that's like the entry point where a lot of hacks can happen and they're less secure typically. So this can help them or uh, help these enterprises secure their API um, connections yeah. better. Uh, feels like maybe CrowdStrike or Datadog. Again, I may be totally... <laughs> no, I think you're right Datadog there. might be a little bit because they're monitoring... Uh, as yeah, a monitoring like the whole stack, though, if I'm not like, uh, I, yeah, maybe I'm talking out of my they, ass. They here, might but. be, they might be leaning more into some of those pure security plays. Um, but 
We'll see. I don't know. Seems like a good product uh, either way. Okay. Uh, highlights and lowlights. Brad, you want to go first? Yeah. So for highlights, uh, Duran seems like a really solid guy to be leading, um, founder, CEO. He's been with the company for a very long time. There's no real management red flags. This is a really reputable firm. Um, low light, I'll do two. Uh, so essentially flat year-over-year revenues for 2020 with margins that tick down a little bit. So that compares to the, the direct uh, the direct competition of Okta, um, ex- expansion on margin and top line and less direct competition, CrowdStrike and Zscaler, same thing. Um, and then along those same lines for low light, CrowdStrike um, also just entered the identity space with their preempt purchase. Um, so they will be going after Okta. They will be going after Ping over the over the coming years. And, and I, in terms of who you don't want um, kind of intruding on your competitive niche, uh, CrowdStrike's an intimidating um, entrant, I think. So something to keep an eye on. That's interesting. I guess I, I missed that on the competitors. Um, that, well, Ping, uh, Ping did not include that in their 10 case. <laughs> Bad on them. The, I will be suing them. Securities cross. So, so this purchase happened a few months ago, so they might just have not updated it yet or something. No, 10, 10K, that, 10K came out only two, three weeks ago. No, well, then there you might go. be, uh, I think Muji or uh, Hypergrowth. Yeah, this just, I this think is who we should be asking this. about all these. I think yeah. he mentioned this in our interview with him that he was going after sort of Octa's market. That CrowdStrike was. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, CrowdStrike from their growth, I don't understand the business, but uh, it's been <laughs> impressive. And uh, Yes. And I own shares, so I'm biased. So please keep that in mind. <laughs> also, every, uh, and it feels like every person I know that's like deeply rooted in tech is like, oh yeah, CrowdStrike's a, a shoe in And so it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. That is sort that of is an good. intimidating competitor. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll go next though. Highlights. Yeah. Andre Duran, he seems bright. I like him. Uh, guidance looks solid, 15% growth and annual recurring revenue is what they're expecting. Low light for me, I think this is a type of business where the operating expense line is going to basically hinder profitability forever. And it's whether, uh, yes, they're going to have to spend a lot of money on research and development, trying to keep up with product offerings to combat sort of uh, hackers, but they're also going to have to do it through m um, If And the problem is, well, like we saw it, right? They acquired Showcard, um, and Okta just acquired Auth Zero, whatever. They're yeah. they're doing that along with R and D, and it feels like that's not necessarily going to go away ever. Like it feels like they're always going to have to spend money in both those categories. So Possibly. that for me is a little bit of a concern, especially considering that at this price, you are expecting margins to expand over time. And they did say next year, I think free cash flow guidance was essentially flat. Um, yeah. so I don't know. That part isn't super appealing to me. Yeah. They are trying to transition to that SaaS model so that, you know, that may hurt short-term free cash flow. But yes, I think people might be misleading themselves if they look at like 80% gross margins and then they go, all right, profit margin to this, divide that by two. Yeah. Uh, it, you might have to divide by two again. Uh, plus there's going to be stock-based compensation headwinds. Uh, so yeah, I mean the operating margins could be twenty percent. It might not be as just because of the competitive positioning. Like if you look at someone, um, gosh, who would be a better who has like forty percent operating margins? Who has you know that clear competitive advantage in pricing power? I guess if you look at someone maybe like Autodesk, who yeah. thinks they can get back to that forty percent operating margins, where there's it's tougher for people to compete with them. They don't have to consistently spend as much on R and D. They do do a lot of acquisitions, but 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's tougher to see ping in the long run having those strong operating margins, but maybe they will. From the outside looking in, pricing power seems capped. Like you can't- Or tougher. Yeah. I mean, if you give something too high, why can't Okta steal that competitor? Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I guess- Maybe it's out of my circle of competence then, but what about you? What do you have for Yeah, the, uh, all the, anyone that's a tech person listening to this, uh, if, you're laughing, yeah, <laughs> or if you're laughing or saying that we're completely wrong, um, do not. Let us know. Feel free. Feel can... free to uh, yeah, yell at us. But uh, yeah, I'll hit mine and we can wrap things up. I think value proposition, just on an absolute basis, is strong. Great product pipeline and competitive. Like the offering is now, like we said, the competitive advantages might not be as strong as people think, and I think that's more of a concern with Okta at their uh, really crazy valuation, but they're now competing with Okta with assuming the same product, so maybe that can help them. I think the lifetime value of customers is really high. You could probably argue, I don't know, one of those banks or whatever is probably a lifetime value of $25 million in revenue. Uh, switching costs seem high. Big low light for me would be Vista Equity. Uh, they had the either founder or CEO of Vista Equity Partners got, I believe, arrested for tax evasion and fraud. Uh, and there's a lot of, there's no hard evidence, no one, but there are a lot of, uh, I don't know what it's like, accusations of self-dealing uh, within Vista Equity portfolio companies. And now, you know, the management team at Ping Identity is not just Vista Equity, you still got the founder there. Right. So that kind of mitigates any of those concerns, but I do worry about the culture there um, because Vista Equity. That's sort of they clearly, yeah, because yeah, if they're going down for evading taxes, um, I, I don't know. It I don't just think concerns yeah, me a bit. I don't think they're hands off when it comes to dealing with ping identity as well. Yeah, so it, there's it, probably some influence in there. And it wouldn't concern me if they had like a 10% stake, but they have like a half, uh, half of a company, which is like Brad said. So, that's uh, that's kind of something on my mind. That's the biggest low light I saw. But let's wrap things up here. Are we more or less interested? Brad, kick things off to you. Yeah, and for that, I thank you, Brad. I, I missed that. Um, I, I missed that uh, that scandal. So that's definitely a good thing to keep in mind when um, looking to invest in this company. When when Vista has, I mean, forty seven, I think, percent of the float. Uh, so thank you for for um, including that. So in terms of more or less interested. It's a little weird for me because I, I'm generally a, a really optimistic person and like to say nice things about companies, but this isn't just, I, 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 there's nothing that makes it terrible. There's nothing that makes it me scream. This is a, an awful company, but it, there's just nothing that makes me overly excited to own it. Um, and for that reason, I'm probably just going to stay on the sidelines for the time being. All right. The shark tank for that for reason. That for that reason, <laughs> for that reason <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm probably in the same camp as Brad. It, we're, First of all, circle of competence, I don't think this fits in it uh, because when it comes to tech, we are basically just babbling on about stuff we don't understand. And if someone is a tech expert listening to this, they know that. So yeah, it's uh, not tech because that's just a broad incoming thing. It's more of like the software and security market. Yeah. And so I guess too hard pile in that regard. And then also if I were to meander outside of my circle of competence, it better be a fat pitch. And I wouldn't necessarily call this the perfect pitch. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat. I think we might be over. I think it, we can understand it. It might take a while, but it's definitely something you can understand. Like Okta, you can understand this is a little more difficult. Um, the competitive positioning versus like CrowdStrike, Datadog, 
and all those companies is a little bit difficult as well. But yeah, I think I'd be interested at a more reasonable valuation, but at what is it, you know, eight times sales for a company like this isn't insane, but it seems like a good business trading at a, you know, pretty fair price. It's not like a great business, like say CrowdStrike trading at a fair price. I don't know. That's the other issue is that not only do you have to understand Ping Identity's business, but then you got to really understand the ins and outs of all of its competitors yeah. and people that could potentially be competitors. Because if CrowdStrike can completely disrupt that market, then, then that's a big issue as a shareholder for Ping Identity. Yeah. And you get to weigh whether the customer lock in strong enough uh, to ward off any competition. Uh, but it's almost like these markets are almost... Yeah, the market as a whole is probably going to grow, um, but it's almost like something I don't want to play in where it's just too difficult. You don't know four or five years down the line who's still going to be there. Now, I, I think the switching costs are pretty high. Um, and I, I don't know. It, it's, a tough, it's a tough one. It might be too hard, pal. Brad, do you have anything else before we wrap up? Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I, I think I think if, if you're going with the bull thesis of tide lifts all boats and cybersecurity is a really co- a, a really attractive industry to be in, it, it makes more sense to just go with a low cost ETF instead of trying to pick a winner in this space and, and choosing Penn yeah. or choosing, I'm sorry, and, and choosing um, Ping Identity. My, right. my mind's not on Penn National Gaming, sorry. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, I, I would, if that, it, that seems like the most compelling bull case to me, which is not an ideal bull case in its own right. But if that was my opinion, I would go with an ETF. All right. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think any of us would be surprised if this was a $10 billion company in five years, if they really execute. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same size. And I have no really conviction either way. Uh, but if you own the stock, hope, it, hope you do well. Hope, uh, hope we were wrong. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Anything else before we close out, guys? Well, my company for next week. Oh, right, right. Tell us. Uh, Callaway Golf Company. Ooh. Ticker ELY, I believe it's in Austin Lieberman's portfolio, a friend of the show. So, uh, kind of interesting one. Uh, yes. They and are. I think they made, what was it that they were the one that acquired Top Golf, right? They acquired yeah. Top Golf and they own Top Tracer, Tracer Technology. Brad, you know the company at all? At all? Uh, I know the golf balls. I'm a fan of the golf balls. So, I will have <laughs> to study up on the stock. That, that is the extent of my knowledge. That is the, that's, that's the competitive, the that's so. the competitive advantage right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's it. Okay. That's going to do it for this episode. As always, remember to use our promo code CCM at checkout to get $10 off your first month at 7investing. We are not financial advisors. uh, So anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are portfolio managers and general partners at Arch Capital. Clients in Arch Capital may hold securities discussed on this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you on our next episode. 